Hey there guys, my name is Carl, this is Rambling Ambos, and in just a few moments time, Jen and Eva joining me here for the debrief, we're discussing all things coronavirus, Jen's trip to Nepal, and the most underrated piece of equipment in your ambulance. After that though, we've got Ev's clinical corner, he's going to be running through a pretty peculiar case study which he's just done recently. So stand by, we've got the debrief coming up in just a moment. Welcome to Rambling Ambos. Guys, welcome to the debrief. Jen, Ev, hello. How are you both? Very well, thanks, mate. Good to hear. Um, Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, Let's learn a little bit about yourself first before we get into too much detail here. But Jen, how long have you been practicing as a paramedic for? So I've been a paramedic now for three years. Three years? Yeah. Okay. And um, are you a vocational entrant or have you done a degree? What's your background there? So... have you just fumbled your way to the job? Or? <laughs> Do I just turn up at a station and go, hello, I'm here for work? Yeah. No, I actually studied, um, I did a Bachelor of Emergency Health and a Bachelor of Nursing my first year out of school. Uh-huh. And then I took a year off to go find myself and I found that I didn't like nursing. Oh. So I just finished up with a Bachelor of Emergency Health in oh. Victoria. And then, yeah, I've been working for three years. Three years, amazing. And um Ev over here, guys, is our resident expert. He's our most experienced clinician. So um, any mistakes that you find on this show, we're going to direct to Ev and uh, it's going to be on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Ev, how long have you been practicing for now? Yeah, um, yeah, look, this month is going to be 14 years in the job. 14 years, fantastic. And intensive care paramedic as well. How long have you been doing that for? Yeah, I see for roughly four years now. Four years? Yeah. Okay. Clever cookie. Yeah, and post-grad studies, anything like that? So I started off uh, at uni before I got into the job and I was doing a Bachelor of Health Science in pre-hospital care, which is now the um, Bachelor of Clinical Practice, I think they Uh call it. Much better much yeah. better to your name. Yeah. What's in a name, <laughs> yeah. hey? Yeah, yeah, health science. Yeah. Um, Bachelor of Nursing, uh, post-grad cert in intensive care studies, and then a first year of a master's in critical care. Ah, amazing. So, so clever. That's and that's why we're pinning everything on yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, so should know something like that. Right something may have stuck. Ev, Ev, Ev. Yeah, yeah. right. Anything um, I claim that's wrong <laughs> is your fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get that a lot, oddly enough. <laughs> exactly. So what about you, Carl? Um, oh, look, guys, I'm, I think maybe the dunce of the group. I'm sorry. Um, um, I might be letting everyone down here. the probie? Yeah, I'm a bit of a probie, although I've only been practicing for two and a half years. Um, I went through the vocational entrance, um, but I do have a nursing degree as my background. I worked as a couple of years as an RN um, in homeless health and uh, sexual health, mental health. Interesting. Or the, cool. the, yeah. For those playing at home who don't know what vocational entry is, because I know a few states don't do that uh, anymore. What is that? So the vocational entrance is Pretty much you're employed by the service um, to uh, become a paramedic. So they uh, look after all your training and at the end of it, you get a diploma. So um, it's worked out. So kind of like an apprenticeship in a way. Yeah, exactly. And it's worked out so well for me because having done the degree in nursing, it's been a really good transition to come across without having to do another degree um, in paramedicine, which look. Better for me, the community, I'm not too sure, um, but hey, <laughs> well, I'm here now and I'm employed, so yeah. It's interesting you talk about the transitions of university degrees in paramedics um, mm. or in ambulance in general. When I first started, it wasn't common practice that you would have someone that was university trained, um, especially in paramedicine, so it was yeah. a fairly new concept. Yeah. Um, like in my starting class, there was only two out of, I think it was about 53 people that were actually... Uh, that had the opportunity to RPL or recognition right. of prior learning or yeah. yeah. And one was a nurse and, and I was the other as a paramedic student. 
So the rest of them were just general entry or... Yeah, yeah you know, there you go. From yeah. different backgrounds. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that, that used to be a big thing back in the day that they would take people who had uh, a bit of maturity under their belt, yeah. you know, mm. um, tradespeople, um, yeah, even nurses as well. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, because there's a lot more younger people coming in the job, I think, nowadays with absolutely. all the uni stuff. Because yeah. There's certain unis that do it in two years and that yeah. means you can be, what, almost 19 or 20 yes. when you start. So yes. it's a bit of a change, I guess. Without from... much life experience behind you. And yeah. it, I yeah. think it does count. Like, yeah. At look, the time when I was going through, I was like, oh, that's bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> but now I certainly go, yeah, look, you know, mature, you've been around the, the block a few times. You, I don't know, just understand people. and Yeah. I think you see things differently. Like, I feel like yeah. there's pros and cons to each. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're young, you're fresh, you're motivated. I mean, you, yeah. I'm sure you are when you're older as well. But mm. um you just, I think your perceptions on You're people in the world yeah. are just different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I've met some um, really young new grad paramedics and they're fantastic. They're enthusiastic um, and they're easy to teach as well. You know, they're, they're ready to learn. I mean, look, yeah, you're right. There's pros and cons in, in every aspect of it. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, they certainly know a lot when they're coming out from uni now. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> just guys, ask them. I, I was going to say, I, so I've been working now for three years and I'm like, a uni student asked me a question and I'm like, I was you three years ago yeah. and I now need to uh, look that up in a book because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Well, guys, the debrief here is completely unscripted. Um, it's basically a discussion where we talk about uh, things that are happening in the general ambulancing community and right at this moment we really can't go past the major issue which isn't just affecting us here in this room but around the world coronavirus yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Yeah. pandemic yeah i mean isn't it amazing to think like literally just a couple of weeks ago uh we were all going about our lives in the most normal way as well as we've always known mm. and now two weeks later yeah. uh there's self-isolation they're closing down the borders yeah isn't it unreal? Yeah, society has nice. essentially come to a grinding halt. Yeah. Um, yeah, non-essential services are pretty yeah. much all but stopped. Yeah. And yeah, it's having a massive impact just on the economy and yeah, all around the world. It's crazy. I've just never seen anything like it. Like, mm. I mean, we've seen a couple of, mm. I guess, big events in our lifetimes in terms of 9-11 or even yeah. if you look at um, Ebola recently yeah. or anything. And but still, flu. it just didn't quite have the same effect that coronavirus is having on the world now it's it's crazy it was it's almost like we never thought that it would get to this stage where we're having to you know self social practice social distancing and you know Um, all those mm. techniques to help minimize the spread i know and social distancing i mean who i've never used that phrase in my life that's just everyday life for me just get the hell away from (laughs) it yeah (laughs) Yeah, for some people it's great that's right um it's going to be the hashtag of the year social distancing well actually i think that there's i think it's something like the Oxford Dictionary or something each year releases the word of the year, um, uh, it you know relevant to whatever the context, political context or or, mm, or themes mm. of the year were. So I'd be really interested actually to see if something like isolation or mm. social distancing or something is actually the word of the that's year. True. Yeah, that, that, that's a good bet. Twenty twenty's word of the word year. Of, so yeah. so social kind of insane. <laughs> social isolation. Oh. Yeah. So what was last year's like yellow or oh. something? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I think that, that might be a few years ago, but. You know what's really scary is, though, can you imagine, though, if the mortality rates were a lot higher and, you know, we're already panic buying at the moment and Mm. and seeing people hoard, but can you just imagine if the mortality rate was a lot higher and the disease didn't discriminate between age or if you're already immunocompromised? Could you imagine like the community at the moment if that was the case? It would be really interesting. So I've actually looked this up a little bit from information and data from the World Health Organization. Mm. So 
because I'm doing my master's of global health at the at the moment, mm. this is just like so um, relevant and pertinent to what we're studying and doing now. But the actual current mortality rate they estimate is about four point one percent at the moment. Right. Um, but it's actually interesting to look at the way that data is collected and. Um, break that down because they think that that's actually an overestimation mm. because the mortality rate takes into account um, the people that have died but doesn't include the people who uh, have the disease but haven't presented and haven't been tested yes, because right. there's that two-week isolation yeah, period. So yeah. you've, got, you've almost got to look back and, and disregard the deaths of the last two weeks yeah, and yep. then make that your ratio. So and, it's interesting. And then there's people that have no symptoms whatsoever um, exactly, that, and they won't get tested. And they won't be yeah, reported. Exactly, and, but yeah. yeah, so it's certainly in the definition of yeah, what what's actually killing these people. Obviously, it's a respiratory complaint mm. primarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, if they have pre-existing conditions, lung problems, and that is that a natural progression of that disease, mm. yeah. and is it just a, a you know chance fact that they do have COVID nineteen? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. You know, that actually had no bearing on that yeah. disease. Well, every time I have a cough, I'm like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, I've got I'm it. like, am I, am I getting a fever now to yeah. check my forehead? Yeah. But look, haven't got it yet. So far as I know. Right. Right. I did think that, I think that, um, I think the first death in New South Wales for it was something like a 95 year old female in a mm, nursing home. Yeah. And I think like, you just have to ask these questions of mm. what was that patient's, um, you know, quality of life, like beforehand, what were yeah. their comorbidities? Yeah. Yeah. Were they mobile? Were they, exactly. you know, yeah. I hate was to say it, but time were, in the first exactly, place. you yeah. know, was it, was it this or was it going to be, you know, yeah, a, just a, just a common cold that killed her, like mm. it's, her, him or her, sorry. But yeah, it's interesting to kind of break down who's affected and I'd be so interested to see the data that comes out of this. Mm, mm. As, oh, sorry, Ev. No, go for it. Well, as clinicians and, you know, working in this environment, uh, how has it made you feel in terms of going to work? And I, I know for me, there's been some points where I've almost got caught up in the moment and in the media hysteria about it because I'm thinking, oh, you know, like we're locking down borders. Um, we've got to make sure we've got all our PPE on. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not that worried about actually catching it because the symptoms and and the the likelihood of, you know, getting sick from it are so small. So yeah. at, at, on one side, I'm like really nervous about it yeah. because of the hype about it. But yeah. the reality is, well, I'm not going to get sick, but obviously our patients who could contract it from us. I mean, that's obviously the worry. That's true. But that's true. But it takes sometimes just some small facts or changes to that, to mm, your knowledge yes. to change that all around. And, and a prime example was the other night at work when a co-worker actually told me she was now concerned about it, like significantly concerned mm. because there was two patients that were taken into a nearby hospital uh, with respiratory problems and it's seemingly just a simple chest infection. One was an 18-year-old yeah. and the other one was 44. Both of those patients deteriorated quite significantly in the next few hours. They both ended up intubated. Right. Wow. Okay. And that yeah. actually as well, I've read something online about um, there's something like a, he, I think he's 38 or 48 year old Italian man who's a paramedic hmm. who's actually died um, from okay. COVID. Yeah. And so we've got to ask the questions. Yes, I think so easily we've made these like kind of sweeping statements mm. that, you know, COVID only affects nah. people with comorbidities and the elderly, but there are now mm. more and more instances of younger people getting sick. Well, I'm going to take the approach of ignorance is bliss yeah. and just pretend <laughs> that I'm not hearing any yeah, of that because yeah, yeah. Yeah, that should work um, out well, man. Yeah. 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 
is it that is it the episode of the Simpsons where the monkey's clapping symbols in your head? Like just, just replace any thought. Well, if with that's that. what it takes to get yeah. through, I'm happy. But um, yeah. go to your happy place. But I have to say, what I find so concerning is the absolute spread of misinformation. Mm. So this is something. If you guys don't mind, this no, is something that one of my good friends sent me who's not medical at all. Mm. And I had a look. I just have to share this with you because mm-hmm. I it just blows my mind. Yeah. So first of all. It talks about how new coronavirus might not show symptoms for several days. Mm. So this little um, Instagram picture suggests, um, Taiwanese experts suggest that you should take a deep breath and hold your breath for 10 seconds. If you can do this without coughing and without difficulty, then Uh, it shows you don't have fibrosis (laughs) and therefore no infection. Wow. I've seen, I've and seen NBA teams that. doing that too. They all hold their breath together and then one person starts coughing and they're like, oh, yeah, the corona. Yeah. <laughs> the second part of this, I love, this is great. Everyone should make sure that you drink water every 15 minutes because if the virus gets into your mouth, drinking water will wash it down into the down the esophagus into the stomach. <laughs> Good call. And no. there, the stomach acid will kill the virus and you will not get sick. Oh, there you go. I just, so I, we've been going about it all wrong. Oh yeah. Clearly, we should be listening to these people. <laughs> but I'm just like, that's something that one of my friends, who I can, you know, has, is university educated, mm. yeah. is a smart girl. Mm. She sent me that picture, and God love her. But I'm just kind of like, oh, dude, uh, yeah, no, don't spread know. that. Don't tell anyone else that information know. because <laughs> next thing we know, we're all going to be wearing, yeah. you know, colanders on our heads and walking around with oven mitts, and all of a sudden, that's the are, best. Way are you not doing yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> You know what was funny? Um, I was watching the news the other day and Justin Trudeau, the Canadian oh, Prime Minister, mm, really? oh my gosh, yeah. it was the funniest press conference. It felt like I was watching a movie. So he, um, the point that he was making, it was like this. He, um, he said, I want to be clear. If you're a Canadian and you're abroad right now, it's time to come home. What on earth? It felt like such wow. a. This is so exaggerated. I feel like it's like Liam Neeson runs in all of a sudden <laughs> and it's like taking five. It or makes whatever. me think like you know we were on scene with the patient next and it's like, okay, you have a fever, and you've got a cough. I'm sorry to say, but I think you may have. Corona. And someone just like walks in in, in the yeah. stage black and runs oh across with gosh. a sign. And it's just like, yeah, it's all, I don't know. It it's all feels getting like. getting a little bit crazy. This oh, ongoing yeah. movie, isn't it? It'll be nice when it's over. Mm. If, I wonder if, when it will be over. If it's Give it some over. time. Yeah, well. we'll make it through. I don't know. It sounds like people aren't exactly <laughs> adhering to the advice mm. um, and spreading it. So, well, yeah, as long as we keep how spreading cool it. How cool are those, um, those drive-through testings um, in South South Korea? I did hear about this. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're yeah. doing drive-through testing facilities. And there was even, I think, a GP in um, Sydney's East in Maroubra that set up their own one at their GP office mm. where you can just pull up in your car. I mean, logistically, if you lived in the area, it'd be quite annoying if you got it. <laughs> All this all traffic all of a sudden, yeah. Potentially sick people And then you can't go to the, the shopping and then you get there and there's nothing on the car, uh, on the shelves. But interesting, like, that's so interesting. You look at South Korea and they're providing this free roadside service, mm. right? And then you look at America, and I saw this on Facebook, is that um, a congresswoman had to essentially, like, harass a congressman to give authority to provide free testing for Americans regardless of insurance because now I don't know exactly how the whole insurance thing works in America but they said that generally for the flu A the flu B the presentation to the hospital and a couple of other tests it would cost something like 1,330 American dollars to get tested and 
you know, as this lady pointed out, she said that's completely prohibitive Gosh. to some families. And yeah. what that means is families are not going to get tested yeah. and they're going to spread the disease. So mm. what was amazing is she actually kind of pressured this guy into giving authority that all coronavirus mm. testing would be free. But yeah. it's amazing how yeah. different countries combat this so differently. How do you isolate, yeah, people who don't think they're sick? Exactly, exactly. And especially when you're putting a price on that for testing, um, what incentive are they? Is yeah. there for someone to go, oh, mm. I'll go on. Oh yeah, I'd love to spend list. one thousand three hundred dollars yeah. when I'm not affected. Like yeah. I don't feel affected. You know, uh, just especially seems- when the place is closing down over there. Like people are working two or three jobs just to meet, you know, their their mortgage yeah. repayments, exactly. and then all of a sudden they're going, oh, can you spend all this extra money on a simple test, uh, and that will determine whether or not you stay yeah. in isolation. Yeah. Oh great, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> thanks, mate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but um, talking about South Korea, um, I might just quickly show you this one that uh, came up. Um, so it's a tweet from a doctor, uh, Sam Garley, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, at yeah. EMS underscore resus. So somebody who's in the know. Um, yeah, so it's a little graph and it says, uh, this is a critically important graph. South Korea tested everyone while Italy was only testing sick people. This is recently. Right. Look at the ages in between 20 and 29. Now I will post this up a little bit later so everyone can have a look at it. Um as we can see, there's a massive spike in confirmed cases. So this is coronavirus cases percentage in South Korea and Italy based on age groups. And the highest group here is ages 20 to 29 at 29.9%. Wow. So these are the people that are not showing any symptoms mm. walking around who actually so, have the yeah. virus. Mm. Um, so they're positive, but yeah. they may not necessarily be unwell. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's, yeah, it's like the 20 to 29 bracket. Mm. Wow. And then the people who are probably going, oh, well, I'm not sick. I'm not going to yeah. die from it. No, I'm all right, mate. Yeah. Oh, all three of us sitting out. in a room so, and yeah. got no yeah. idea. I mean, guys, so for everyone at home, just so you know, we are all wearing our sperm suits. Uh, <laughs> gloves. Full PPE. Yeah. yeah, my uh, oven mitts and my calandra. Yeah. That's exactly. what I've got on, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Well, look, I know coronavirus is probably getting a little bit edgy with everyone just talking about it. There's so much information there is. out there. There is. You Two can talk about it week. on and on and you can yeah. hear about it on and on. So let's change subject. Sure. Um, Jen, you've been to Nepal recently. Tell I us have. about that. What so, for? So actually, this was a really cool trip that I did. So I was a team leader for a group of paramedic students um, and two lecturers. And what we did is we went over to Nepal and we went to a village that was something like 100, oh, probably less, 100 k's out of Kathmandu, the capital city. Oh. And we actually went and set up a primary health clinic for three days. Excellent. where local villages and villages from the surrounding villages were invited to come. Um, For and corona testing? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just had a swap, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So they were actually invited to come and essentially get their, you know, their blood pressures checked sure. and yeah, their heart amazing. rate and everything by our team um, to come with any concerns or complaints that they might have had. And then we also actually worked with a Nepalese doctor and we were able to give them some medications or some treatment for those conditions or referrals as well. So we did lots of sort of even just like musculoskeletal aches and pains from like these, these people work so hard in the fields. Like these, some of these guys are 80, 90 and they're, you know, still so fit and Mm. relatively healthy. I think of some 90 year olds I know here and Mm. my goodness, (laughs) they are so much healthier. Um, But we did a lot of that, some kind of skin conditions, lots of just blurry vision, um, you know, was that hard? Because probably when you're practicing here in Sydney, you might you might find people with symptoms of oh, I've got a bit of abdominal pain, and when you get a patient stating that, it's like oh, damn it, they've got to go to hospital yeah. because 
you know, it's an exclusion for pretty much every ambulance service out there. Well, exactly. If, yeah, yeah, that's that's funny you say that because that's it, exactly right. It's like, hard. You're like, mm, here I am in this little clinic in Nepal. You, do you need to go to hospital? Yeah, do you not? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, interesting. It is, and it's. I think that that's so interesting because I, we're all trained in this kind of system where we refer to the tertiary hospital as yeah. as the appropriate treatment, mm. um, and there's you know big hoops and and yep. things to jump through to try and even leave someone at home because it's so risky. Whereas mm. here, there was no option to refer, unless someone was like quite unwell. There were a couple of cases that we did refer um, that definitely needed more right. investigation by a hospital or, right. you know, some people had... A, and a were they had, unsure yeah. of their symptoms before they came yeah. to you? Yeah, or oh, they kind of, cool. lots of it was like, oh, I've been a bit dizzy. Mm. And, you know, for me, dizzy's like a oh red flag, yeah, we have to go yeah. to hospital. But a lot of these people were just not drinking enough water. Mm. But then, you know, there's one guy who's dizzy who has a blood pressure of 200 and an irregular heart rate. And we're yeah, like, right. you know, that's not, I have yeah, a stethoscope. Yeah. That's all I have, yeah. you know. So, so this, this actual area that you're yeah. working in, tell us about it. Like, is this a rural area or is it a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it is. So, what kind of so socioeconomic guess, area you're talking? So this um, village is, is full of people who, it's quite low socioeconomic status. Right. Um, people here work on their farms. So they, mm. they grow a lot of crops, yep. um, things like that. Imagine, I, I mean, I've never been to Bali, but I think it's what the kind of like Bali, like rice fields look like. Oh, yeah. It's that yeah, yeah. thing, yeah. so that like cut I'm away thinking into the like mountain. big mountains, yeah. a few of those like little flags that are yes. multicolored along Everywhere. the string. Yeah, prayer mm. flags. Is yep. that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we stayed at and we used the, the local school, which is essentially like this, it's got a tin shed, um, you know, there's three walls in between it and there's three teachers wow. and that's, okay. that's the school for the village. Yeah. Um, so it is super rural. There sure. are some roads and cars can get to and from this area. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's like, it's a village. It's a total uh, village. Do they have paramedics set? No. Oh, so Nepal itself, I have a reasonably poor understanding of the whole health system, but we did have a hospital tour, but they have ambulances, yeah. which are cars. Okay. They're just, it's oh, just okay. a, a car yeah. because a lot of people in Nepal don't like actually own cars. Oh, yeah, almost. No, yeah. So a lot of people <laughs> own um, motorbikes or nothing. Yeah. Okay. And so if you've got Gosh. someone who's sick, you know, the ambulance can kind of pick up you and, and the whole family. But uh, there, there's okay. nothing like that in this village. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it's wow. only in the city. Mm. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what made you head over there? What was this all about? Like, how did this come about? How did it come about? So a few years ago, I decided to do my um, basic wilderness life support certificate, right? Just yep. as a, I was Is interested like in it. like a Bear grills kind of? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really... So I got handed a knife and bear a girls. bear carcass. She's been drinking a urine ever since. I heard yeah. wilderness and uh, something yeah, else. Yeah, that's, that's it. I just, I just wore a ghillie suit for like... Yeah. <laughs> for a week and that, I got a certificate for it. Oh, cool. No, it was... Um, it's actually a really interesting course. So um, I've actually since done my advanced wilderness life support course. Right. And it's just about looking at how we do... How we provide first aid or emergency care in a wilderness setting. So you mm. don't have, oh, okay. you know, your ambulance... Some minimal resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using what you like, can. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, and so I did that in Nepal, and then it's just kind of progressed from there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's well so done. cool. Good for yeah, you. Thanks. Well, um, guys, just to round out this segment, um, I'm going to ask what is the most underrated piece of equipment in your ambulance? So just quickly, <laughs> my specifically my yeah. ambulance <laughs> in, in, in your ambulance because I know my ambulance is completely well stocked and oh. uh, I use oh. everything uh, that's in there on a very much day. I'm, I'm going to check his truck when I get to yeah. work just to make sure. Yeah. Um, so Ev, we'll start with you. What's your most underrated piece of equipment? Under, I think 
Well, this is an interesting perspective on it because you say in my world, it's not underrated um, for me because I use it a lot. But I think for the for general populace, yeah. it seems mm. to be. I'm actually going to say the arm lock splint. Oh, I was about I to name someone that that might have been inspired by, but I won't. But I'm intrigued. <laughs> why? Why do you? You just said you hate oh, it. Do you? I mean, you hate an arm lock splint. Only because I'll admit I'm probably not the best at putting it. <laughs> you on. You can't put it on, can no, you? Yeah, yeah. You have. I actually. I mean, I don't use them enough, it's, but I do yeah. like them when they are used. Yeah. Mm, no, they're just. It, it's a bit of equipment that. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit it's like, tricky to put it on. Start? But once you. When, once you <laughs> Once you learn to put it on correctly, I uh, you usually kick it off. Yeah, no, I've just I've found over the years, um, you know, when you've got a patient who's agitated, restless, um, hell, even yeah. really diaphoretic, and runs the risk of actually pulling out that cannula yeah. that you've you know, just strived to put in. So many times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just I, you know, I call it a line saver, and yeah. you know, someone who's agitated, even uh, a line saver or a life saver. Good life. Hey. Well, hey. I don't think oh, I've okay. got to that <laughs> point yet, but um, yeah, could be it's potentially. Yeah. Yeah. No, I okay. I wouldn't put it on everybody because no. you know most patients are compliant. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I like to make sure just they are. Putting that on everyone, they'd be like, well, "Excuse me, I need yeah, to scratch my nose." Well, you me can't. Out. Yeah, but it certainly saved a hassle. Like in a patient that's a little bit restless or agitated for whatever reason Mm. that you've just, you know, spent five minutes doing all this hard work to put it, put a line in and then all of a sudden they rip it out and you're like, okay. So yeah, Yeah. that's, that's what I think is the most generated. Your piece. Well, I don't know if mine really falls under the umbrella of equipment and maybe this ties in with my history of um, being a rather passionate and, um, forward driver but the air, horn. Really, the air horn <laughs> so i tell you what you know nothing is more annoying than when someone doesn't get out of your way and i give people a three second rule like oh, if okay. i am tailgating you for three seconds you get the air horn. you're not tailgating anyone are you? no Surely no sorry not. sorry no. if i am a reasonable distance <laughs> yes. away from someone yeah, a safe <laughs> distance yeah, yeah. yeah no oh but i'm all about it you air know what horn. safe yeah if i have to be allowed to be a safe driver and get people out of my way i will do it it is fun holding it down every now and then yeah i think it? it's probably do, do you find yourself getting highly emotional while you're driving because <laughs> yeah. uh, I get a bit of a theme here going yeah I mean it doesn't help when my lights and sirens music is um, well we'll talk about louder than the actual <laughs> siren <laughs> yeah. and you Carl I think I know exactly what uh, this equipment's well, going to be look guys I was a witness yeah. to this what is it I don't think you're a witness but the Nige <laughs> oh yeah. you know what can I just say the Nige got me a thank you letter and for those those, for those that don't know what a nige is Mm -hmm. it's basically a and and ev you can back me up here hopefully if i say the wrong thing um it's basically a spinal immobilization uh splint that um you use to get people out of perhaps more precarious situations more the ones that are trapped in cars and so carl do tell us well when did you use the nige i found this really tough because I had a patient that had rolled down a little gardening bed kind of thing. And he was an elderly guy. And by the time we got to the job, he was already sitting in his seat. Very precarious. Yeah. Well, (laughs) he had, you know, he had a few grazes. And so I thought, I'm like, okay, mate, what we're going to do. Felt his C-spine and a lot of pain on palpation. And I thought I could even feel a bit of crepitus. I'm not too sure. Okay. Um, So I was like, right, we're going all out here. Mm. Put the collar on. I'm like, okay, we're going to just try and um, get you onto this stretcher. And as he stood up, he was a, you know, he wasn't this sl- slimmest of people. Yeah. Oh, no, big guys and so as he's standing up, his head's moving side to side and, you know, his belly's out in front. And I'm like, oh, okay, sit back down. <laughs> did that hurt when you moved? And he's like, yes, yes, it did. I'm like, oh, okay. 
what am I going to do? <laughs> the night. So my partner, oh, who was a bit more experienced than me, might I add, was very willing to go along with it because I was treating. I was like, we're using it. I don't know how else to get this person on this stretcher. So... Yeah, we um, spent about 25 minutes putting it on, yeah. following you know the what? picture gram. It's yeah. so funny, though, <laughs> is that I was working this day that Carl did this. Yeah. And so Carl, <laughs> Carl brings this patient in on the stretcher into the um, emergency department ambulance bay. And there's like five of us sitting there mm. doing it. I was really work. hoping there'd be no one in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as you do. Just slide on in and then... <laughs> All the questions about what is that? Oh, exactly. We all yeah. go up and we go, did you do a car accident? What's happened? And, you know, where's the manager? Surely no. they made you put this on. It's just he... in a seat. So it was about this time Carl's regretting his decision to put and it on. Anyway, yeah. guys, look, I think that's a really good time to wrap this up. Um, <laughs> this has been the debrief. And coming up after this is uh, Ev's clinical corner. He's going through a case study uh, for us. But before we get to that, a quick ad from our sponsor. Recently, when I became deathly ill, I was able to summon an ambulance, my next door neighbor, my family, and my doctor without picking up a telephone. I used this remote control to contact LifeCall, my 24-hour emergency medical response service. Watch, you just press this button and speak into the air and... I'm having chest pain. I'm calling paramedics and your family, Mr. Miller. I'm falling. And I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. See? Protect yourself with Life Call, and you're never alone. To get complete free information by mail about this affordable medical emergency response system, call toll-free now. Life Call can save your life, so call to get free details by mail right away. For free information about Life Call, call 1-800-872-9100. That's 1-800-872-9100. All right. Well, thank you, LifeCore. Um, can I just say how good is it when you get a Medi-Alarm job and you get there and it's a false alarm? Oh, My love favourite. Exactly. Yeah, I do love a good Medi-Alarm, especially <laughs> anyway. when they don't know you're coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, this is the clinical corner. Uh, Ev is going to run through a case study. It's more of an informative approach. Um, so, Ev, take it away, mate. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Um, yeah, so I'll tell you about a job that I attended recently. Um yeah, it turned out to be a little bit of a noodle scratcher. Uh, weren't Great. quite sure where we were going on this one and there was a few little X factors that uh, changed our approach and management of this patient. So I think you'll like it. Anyway, no we'll see, <laughs> see how we go. You know, I learned a lot from this job myself. Anyway, uh, we were called to a lights and sirens uh, casualty job in the afternoon, just after three o'clock. Um, and it was for a 56-year-old male who was, as per the notes, complaining of chest pain, arm pain and clammy skin. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Stock, AMI, stock put them in a box and take them to hospital. Stock standard, yeah, look out. Um, yeah, so anyway, this patient lived in a housing commission, a nice big uh, unit block, multiple unit blocks. I think all mm-hmm. three of us have attended this, uh, this mm-hmm. location before for previous patients. Um, I'd never actually seen this patient before. Anyway, um, upon arrival of the unit, um, the patient's cousin led us to uh, where the patient was, which was laying supine on his bed. Didn't seem to be in any obvious distress. Mm-hmm. Um, what have we got? So clutching at his chest? No, no, no. Mm. He was he was quite calm. He had a, a little bit concerned look on his face, but there was nothing untowards about the scene at all. Yep. Um, after introductions, the patient states uh, that he had a sudden onset of left arm pain and paralysis, and now he can't move his arm. Oh. 
So that that was the initial thing that he actually okay. said to us. Was he um, waving his left arm when he said it? As yeah, well? it's funny. You, you <laughs> want to test that quite early in yeah. the piece, which uh, <laughs> my partner did. Um, yeah, so he, he tells us that the symptoms started uh, suddenly just after three o'clock in the afternoon while he was cleaning the unit. Um, and he states that he's never experienced any symptoms like this before. Right. He denies any trauma to the actual limb itself. Okay. Um, vital signs? Yeah, vital signs. I'll give you some of those in a moment. Okay. Um, oh. But yeah, the, the patient states that his past medical history included gout, which he takes medication for it regularly. And after palpating his pulse, slightly regular, he tells us that that's something that he's heard of before. Could you say the vital signs are between the flags? Well, okay, let's let's have a look. I'll go straight into the vital signs now. So he's a GCS 15. He's quite yep. lucid. He's answering all your questions. Um, appropriately, his blood pressure is 150 systolic. His heart rate was 88 uh, with a radial pulse and irregular. And irregular, okay. Yeah, and he states that that's something that he's been told before, but okay. yeah, he's not okay. on medications for this uh, for his irregular um, heart rate. Chest sounds are clear, respirate of 16, setting at 98%, has a temperature of 37, um, zero. Okay. So no, nothing no. was really no. jumping out there. Did you do sugars? We did do a sugar, uh, 3.2. Please be zero. Oh, oh okay. 3.2. 3.2. Oh, 3.2. But nah. I still wouldn't think yeah. that 3.2 would give you a paralyzed be. left arm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So let's go back a step before we yeah. actually got to those observations. My partner said, okay, if you can't move your arm, if you've got paralysis, just bring your arms up and let's give him a squeeze. And he was able to raise his hand. Mm. So automatically you think, well, it's mm. not paralyzed. It's, it's mm. hemiparesis. He's having liar. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. We're, we're being lost in definition. So, but he said it's generally complaining of paresthesia, so some numbness to the entire arm. And he, he said it's just a discomfort. I am able to move it, albeit very slowly. Okay. okay. On palpation of the actual arm, he didn't have a radial pulse. Mm. It was cold to touch mm. and he doesn't have a brachial pulse either. Are you sure the arm was attached to the body? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Good Story call. Out there. Turns out it was. Yeah, it wasn't a rogue limb. Good. Yeah. yeah, but he All right, appears so... to have lost profusion to that limb. So um, neuroops. Do you want to hear some of those before you? Hit I us. can see Carl's yeah. brain's ticking well, over Well, I was here. ready to diagnose. No. But okay, okay. No, no, let's hear I, it. What's your, what's your initial impression oh, well, before actually, I even tell you the neuro? I regret saying that. <laughs> um, okay, well, it's interesting because if they're, you know, complaining of chest pain, the left arm pain originally, um, you know, yeah, I guess you, you're going down that acute coronary syndrome route pretty early on perhaps, but right. now with the decreased perfusion to that arm, um, no radial brachial, but he still has movement in it. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, was he diaphoretic? No. No. Okay. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say, is there some kind of? Uh, I mean, well, initially, there's some kind of clot. Like, you know, has he got yeah. a clot that's blocking off his, um, I don't yeah. know, drainage or perfusion to that arm? Yeah. Some sort of, um, yeah, clot further up the arm. Right, so that's, okay. it, that's the initial impressions. Yeah. So <laughs> automatically, it sort of throws you off a little bit about what you're dealing what was with. Was the arm like a discolored? It was, it was, it was you, a dusky. When he had them together, was yeah. it noticeably? Yeah. It oh, was okay. slightly pale. It's right, dusky. Okay. I yep. would use the word dusky. So look, I'll give you, I'll throw you a bit more information here. So he actually denied having central chest pain oh. or discomfort. There's nothing in his throat. Ah. There's nothing in his right arm. So it's there's the... nothing in his neck or his back. It's more specifically left shoulder tip to basically fingertips on his left arm. So his entire okay. left arm, which is essentially numb so that's one of the those... pain that he's describing he denied having the chest pain or discomfort there's no shortness of breath there's no nausea or vomiting 
He's recently well, hasn't been overseas. There's no um, abdominal symptoms, gastro mm, symptoms, those kind of things. <laughs> no, okay. This was pre-corona, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah. yeah. Now, in terms of the neuro, because obviously, mm. you know, if he's yeah. got the paresthesia to the arm mm. um, and uh, yeah, hemiparesis as well. Stroke or mm. positive, yeah. Okay, so it sort of changed it well, from I mean, ACS yeah, to neuro. I, I guess, and that's the thing, you get led by the screen on the way to the job. So obviously there's now no chest pain. Mm. Um, it's... I'd be thinking what Jen said. Is it some sort of clot still? Right. Um, mm. Perhaps. Um, Did you have more info before we yeah, start? Just, yeah, just on that part. So just before you start going, okay, how are we actually going to run this job? Like which yeah. hospital? Yeah. What do we need? Um, so he's neuro, uh, neuro-ob. So he's not complaining of any headache. There's no dizziness or lightheadedness. There's no facial droop, slurred speech, mm. um, yep. dysphagia, dysphagia mm-hmm. either. Um, normal sensation to his face, normal tongue protrusion, um, you know, he's not having any trouble swallowing. As I said, um, normal eyes are tracking um, and his pupils are equal and reactive at like four millimetres. Um, he's quite lucid to all your questions. Um, yeah, so essentially the paresthesia and the hemiparesis to the left arm right. with decreased uh, perfusion. Yeah. So the question that I have for you, is this patient fast positive? Quick question. So yes. when you said that you checked his, I'm assuming you did like a quick fast assessment as well. Yep. Um, when he put his hands out in front of you, what was his grip strength like on his left hand? It was probably half of what okay. the Okay, so there right was a decreased yeah. strength as well. Absolutely. Um, I feel like this isn't a sort of job that you'd really want to stay and play for very long. <laughs> um, so okay. I'd be thinking, yeah, let's start getting moving. Perhaps put a cannula in the other arm. Yep. Mm. Some of the treatment things mm. that I'm thinking of um, straight away. Um, but I mean, ultimately, sorry, just to run back to your question is that yes, this patient is fast positive because they have, um, altered sensation and decreased strength in their arm. You might have suspicion and I would Mm. based off the color of their arm and lack of perfusion that Mm. it's not necessarily a cerebral event, but something more local. Mm -hmm. Um, but We've well, yep. a a dusky arm and a pulseless limb is bad, so we need yep. to be going. Yep. But yeah, B as well, you know, we're better off kind of calling this a, a potential cerebral event and um, call big call early yeah. instead of going like I mean I'm hesitant to call this a stroke because he, of the because the color, of the limb. Okay. yeah, because yeah. I don't think well I mean really when we look at a stroke we don't really see these kind of you you don't see pulseless limbs in mm. a stroke. It I haven't. It. I don't. Yeah. yeah. So, but I would still call a neuro team. I would call ahead for a neuro sure. team because I think that you would be giving this patient the best chance um, of a mm. full and comprehensive assessment. Yeah. Excellent. And I guess on that note, when you said you can't really differentiate between the two because it's having sort of signs and yeah, we are fast stroke positive, but we're also decreased profusion to the limb, which is a, a cardiovascular issue mm. or a vascular issue rather. So the question is, can you have both at the same time? Is Absolutely. it possible? Absolutely. I totally, you can have everything at the yeah. same time, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so just getting back to the observation before that. So the BGL, uh, yeah, about oh, 3.2. The patient is not diabetic. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Would hyperglycemia explain the patient's presentation at this point in time? Mm. I just don't, I don't think so because um, he's a GCS 15. He's not, you didn't say overall, he's not um, clammy. No. No, centrally clammy or anything. No. Um, I mean, I would say no. I don't think. I mean, I feel like it's an incidental finding in a way. Like, but what's the history? Has he had lunch? That's a good question. Um, yeah, he had been eating normally throughout the day. Yeah. Okay. But you you use the right words there. Incidental findings. So somebody, yeah. I'm not going to point fingers here, <laughs> may have taken the BGL. 
on, on the, the left arm. Yes, ah. I was just about to say that. So prior to actually cracking out any treatment uh, and or delicious sandwich really that cozy. the cousin <laughs> might have been sent in the kitchen to fetch, Honey rechecked and his sugars were 4.6. Oh, okay. Right, perfect. yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. so there we go. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let's throw that idea out yeah. the room. Yeah. But it does, it does uh, point out some interesting findings about the metabolism of that left arm if the sugars yeah. have dropped down to 3.2 on one side but 4.6 on the other. So obviously cellular mm. metabolism is definitely affected on that left really arm as well. That's really interesting to find, yeah. 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 So anyway, more obs. We're just about to... Get, we were stumped at this point going, uh, where, where do we actually go with this? Um, there's a few different impressions, but one more observation. We went, we better have a look at that 12-lead ECG. A regular pulse, even though he knows all about it, but he's not actually treated. Let's see what we can find. We put it on. And of course, it's clicking at 88 beats a minute and it's now meeting STEMI criteria. You know what? That's like my worst nightmare where I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> just throw another thing into the mix and I have absolutely no idea. Mm, STEMI criteria. Well, that's an easy one for me. Transmit, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, so he's got ST elevation segments in his septal and anterior leads. I think it was uh, V1, 2, and 3 off the top of my head. Unfortunately, I don't have the ECG with me. But what are your thoughts on this new finding? Does the STEMI presentation, so yeah. this patient having an AMI... And, you know, you don't always you, you get those... It's always... It's not always those typical symptoms that you get no. sometimes with no. chest pain. But that being said, at the same time, I yeah. would still expect a symptom. And I just feel like... When you look at an AMI, for example, you know, you might have some chest. I mean, you said it's paresthesia um, mm. and not exactly pain in the left arm. Numbs. So I wouldn't class that under the kind of left arm pain that you would get in an yeah. AMI. Yeah. And you're not, you know, um, completely clammy. And you're not, tip you don't pain. meet yeah. that typical presentation. Yeah. So I would be asking questions about is this a STEMI or is it something mimicking a STEMI? Mm, sure. Excellent. Yeah, it's another, another little X factor to this that made us go, wait. Does an AMI explain this? It doesn't really, does it? Yeah. It doesn't Obviously, explain the profusion though, of that arm. He needs to go to a tertiary hospital that has, um, you know, stroke facilities well, yeah. and and those and cardiac and neuro, facilities. Like you wouldn't yeah, want to, you wouldn't exactly. want to disregard the finding yeah. again. You want to call yeah. early, call big. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, that hospital has both uh, yeah, <laughs> modules to it. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. What happens if it doesn't? Is he more fast positive, or Ooh. is this more of a vascular injury? That could be treated probably at most hospitals yeah. if it is clot, as That's you did mention true. before. Yeah. Mm. Or is the AMI, is that now taking precedence over everything else and he needs to go to a cath lab um, mm. a hospital? Oh, goodness. Yeah. I feel like I, if it was me personally in that position, I feel like I would pick a hospital with a cath lab mm. because I think that, I, I mean, hey, my first, think, like my first thought really yeah. is a clot, but not necessarily in the heart or in the coronary circulation, but yeah. maybe in, and I'm going to get this wrong because my path is really bad. Or but something? something, yeah, 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 yeah. So in one of your kind of um, arteries or veins, it's kind of going out to that arm. But I've had a yes. patient with a femoral clot and their yes. bilateral lower legs were completely That's dusty. That's totally my thinking. No pedal pulses. So I guess it still kind mm. of falls under that umbrella of like a cardiac issue. So yeah. I would be erring on the side of maybe yes. a cardiac hospital, but hey, who knows? Mm. Sure, sure. Well, this was made very easy because our closest hospital accommodated for all, all possibilities up, yeah, and yeah. eventualities <laughs> of this job. So we were safe in that. But look, we did actually transmit the ECG to the hospital. It turns yep. out that it was a false positive. Yeah. Yep. Um, they were not concerned about the ECG findings, um, especially in light of the ischemic limb. Yeah. Mm. So raced him off to hospital pass an urgent message um, to have the, the staff waiting for us there. Um, his observations remain the same essentially mm -hmm. throughout. He was cannulated, minimal actual treatment and intervention yeah. from us because it just wasn't. aspirin GTN? No. Oh, mm. That's the other question. Well, 
Well, oh, we well, hang on. It's a false positive, so I guess you're not thinking that But you don't that know that yet. when you're doing I, it. Yeah, I guess we're fortunate that we can call the, the cardiologist and discuss the ECG yeah, on scene. I yeah. guess not everyone has that yeah. possibility. But, yeah, actually, if we didn't have that function, oh, aspirin, maybe aspirin. I have a, I'll probably I'll, go aspirin maybe. And yeah. even if okay. it's a clot, yeah. maybe it's going to prevent yeah. platelet aggregation. Yeah, if that's it. I don't know. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So probably no harm in actually yeah, doing that. Maybe but, GTN, uh, uh, but yeah, seemingly less warranted now that the doctor yeah. sort of said, look, I'm not actually concerned about his yeah. ECG. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, interesting. Um, we did follow up on this job and yeah, it turns out that this gentleman had what's known as a left atrial appendage clot or thrombus. Have left you ever? atrial appendage clot. What? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, what's this all about? Oh, so they you haven't heard of that before. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm, Gosh, every sorry, other guy Ev. has it. All right. I do actually have some <laughs> pictures for you, you both here. Amazing. I will post these up later. But if you just Google aortic arch and have a look at the actual um, arteries off it, then you can sort of follow along with this. But mm. essentially, this gentleman had a clot that was extending all the way from his uh, ascending aortic arch mm. into his left um, subclavian artery. You that was it. that was the first part of it, and then location, there was the second everyone, part location. of the clot. <laughs> was actually further down his arm. Yeah, right. So you, oh, both okay. of you were actually correct on this one. It was a it was a clot. Yeah. Um. So I've learned from this um, left atrial appendage. It turns out there is a little uh, pouch like sac, uh, the sort of shape of an ear or a finger sometimes, um, on the inferior part of the left atrium. Oh. This this gentleman had a history of AF that was. Diagnosed but not treated, yeah, right, which is a massive area. risk of yeah, yeah throwing off uh, cardio um, no, thrombus. Out of my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and the problem is the risk is it becomes a travelling thrombus or yeah. an embolus. Mm. Ah, okay, no, so when you look at where it's actually gone to, how lucky is this gentleman mm. that it didn't actually go up his yeah. right or left um, carotid artery well, and end up stroking exactly. out? Yeah, or but instead. Knee? Exactly, exactly. So it's left from the left atrium uh, into the left ventricle and then up the aortic arch and then it's sort of lodged there. Did he make it home? I well, a good question. I do know that he was sent to the cardiovascular ward. Uh, he was started on heparin oh. infusions, yep. and there was actually talk about um, some corrective surgery. Um, yeah. There is something I was researching. It's called the Watchman implant, which fits into the appendage and stops blood flow from circulating and it oh. causing clots. Now I do have a question for you, Ev, though, about this one. Ooh, okay. So you said this happened uh, around after three that it started in the afternoon. Yeah. Yep. What What was the sort of onset time between him stating he felt it and you looking at the limb? Sure. Um, it was within half an hour. I think we got the job at uh, yeah three oh seven. I think we're on the scene. Sorry, you have the notes there. Yeah, yeah look, pre- pretty much a couple of minutes later because it was a lights and sirens job. Thanks, Karen. So you got the call at 3.07 and you turned up at 3.20. Yep. So, yeah. we're at, And at, he said it happened at 3. Yeah. So uh, in 20 minutes, yeah, he has a pulseless, arm. dusky arm. Yep. That's that's crazy. But mm. this is the thing is it may not have actually just started per se. Well, as in, in terms of the clot, he may have actually had this clot growing for, for months, well, weeks. I guess you can get a clot. And then two seconds later, you're dead. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, if we're going to put it yeah, that way. Yeah. But the thing is, until it actually occludes the vasculature, there is mm. no symptoms. Symptoms, yeah, there's no warning sign. Yeah, That's so crazy. very interesting. interesting. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, that was one of our one of our uh, impressions and yeah. we were on the ball with that as well, saying, well, we, we also think it could be a dissection, which would explain the ischemic limb. Ah, but there's yeah, no yeah. shortness of breath, chest oh, pain, yeah. diaphoresis, so. Guys, interesting. Well, yeah. Ev, anyway. 
Ev, Jen, thanks for the clinical corner there, Ev. Um, Thank you for sharing. That was really interesting. Guys, uh, that that's that's us that, at the that, end of our uh, first podcast. Yay! That's the end. The first so, podcast um, of Rambling Ambos, huh? Rambling Ambos. Thanks so much for tuning in. And guys, with every episode, um, the way that we finish up here, we're going to be picking our favourite uh, emergency driving song. So I'm going to start us today with uh, Vanessa Carlton. You just can't go wrong with this banger, A Thousand Miles. But <laughs> that's, would, that's it you from us today, cool. guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Make them away downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. 